I'm Stacy. I'm Jenny. And this is Learning for Life, a homeschool podcast. We are two homeschoolers who use different methods, curriculum, and strategies to make it all work. Our goal is to help parents teach kids how to develop a lifelong love of learning. Welcome back, everyone, to the Learning for Life podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. We just want to remind you to please rate and review and subscribe if you have not done so already. Really helps and we really appreciate it. So the topic for today is one that I quite honestly don't know a ton about and I'm very intrigued and we are going to be talking about parent concerns about speech development. And Stacy has just a little bit of information here to share about her own personal story with this. So Stacy, could you give us a little bit of information about that? Yeah. So growing up, I was in speech therapy for my R's. Um, I would say bath womb instead of bathroom. Um, so I was kind of familiar with um, a little bit of speech. So when I had my own children um, and my oldest was getting older to, you know, that after two, almost three, and just he was not producing all the sounds. I mean, I could understand him. I felt like I I knew a foreign language, everybody, because I I have the app Time Hop that like will show you things you've posted from like Facebook and Instagram in the past. And my, I, it was a video of my boys around that age and my oldest was like hopping on one of these like bouncy balls and it was like, I will we and my husband and I both stopped and we like watched it again and I was like, oh, he said I'm going to win. So it was just really interesting to us that looking back how we didn't even like realize for a while again, our first child that they really he needed speech. It became even more apparent. We did not live near family at the time because my husband's military obligations. Um, But when we did visit with family members, Jenny, um, we noticed that some of their children, uh, because Jenny's oldest daughter is a year and a half younger than my oldest, and she was speaking like just beautiful sentences in English, and you could understand her clearly. It's a blessing and and a curse. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Um, But that kind of like hit us and made us realize, again, because there was, it wasn't just comparing our child to another child, like that was exactly the same age, because we we know there's developmental differences. But we figured a year and a half, if he couldn't be at least the same as that level, then maybe he was delayed. So that kind of got me researching a little bit and trying to figure out, you know, what do we do about this problem? Um, So I kind of was just trying to find a speech pathologist on my own. And I called a couple different places. And this one place called Folsom Advanced Speech Therapy that is a private practice run by Margaret Crawford, or as my kids call her, Miss Maggie. She was just super nice and knowledgeable. And we went in for our first appointment. But at the time, I had all three of my kiddos. Um, So I think my oldest was probably four. And then that would put my other one at what? my youngest at like one and a half and the other guy is like three and they were all in speech at the same time but I would just bring schoolwork and I would spend three hours on um I think it was Wednesdays or Mondays at that time and one kid would go in for speech and the other ones we'd hang out in their little waiting room and then another one would go in so we spent a lot of time at this practice and it was just a great environment 
I think the decision to finally seek help from a speech therapist might be a tough one for parents. First of all, maybe they just literally don't know when it's a problem. So I look forward to talking to Maggie about that whole concept. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, there might be a feeling of like, what did I do wrong? Like, why why is my kid not at the place where other kids their age or younger oh. are at? Totally. Yes. And again, I mean, you know, going back to be, you know, you don't want to compare your child to anybody else necessarily. You know, there are norms, which I hope we can talk to Maggie more about that, like what you should expect. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't, we weren't talking baby talk to our children. Um, You know, we would read stories and everything. So it was kind of, we did kind of feel like, what did we do wrong that all three of our children need to go to speech? And so it was nice finally seeking help. And then sometimes that's just, you know, sometimes kids just need help. Like my husband and I both needed speech. I think we were both for our our R's. And now I'm worried about saying an R um, (laughs) on a podcast. I'm like, it's going to come back out. I don't know my R's yet. So for your kids in particular, how much per week or per day was required of you for speech therapy? Oh, yeah. So she they would give um, homework. And the homework was really simple. It would either be like they'd send home a print, like a sheet that had like maybe 15, 20 words with whatever sound we were working on. So if we were working on the C sound, the k, 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 they'd send a sheet and they would have to just say it, cat, and then cup. Um, and so we would just go through those and just focus on the sound that you're working on. So even though they might say car, and that might be a word they might, might like my kids didn't know their R's yet when they were working on the C sound. Um, so it would sound like ka, but they were still getting that k sound. So like that's what you're supposed to focus on. So that was really interesting to me. Your your kid might not be able to say k R because R is more of a complex sound to figure out. So just focusing on one thing at a time, which when we were trying to correct our children, that's one thing we learned. We were trying to do too much all at once. Um, We try to correct every word in the sentence that they got wrong when we should have just been focusing kind of on one sound at a time. Right, right. So I think it's time to bring Miss Maggie in. So a little bit about Maggie or Margaret Crawford. She is the owner of Folsom Advanced Speech Therapy. She's a speech language pathologist. She's been doing it for 15 years and she started this private practice of hers in 2016. She is such a gem and I look forward to you hearing our interview with her. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Can you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about you and your speech therapy background? Thank you. I'm so happy to be here speaking with you guys today. Uh, Yeah, I'm happy to. I have been a speech language pathologist for 15 years, and I work primarily with pediatrics. So um, my youngest kiddos are probably just under two, all the way up to 18. And I just love what I do. Oh, that's so cool. Could you tell us about how you came to start your own speech practice? 
I can. It's um, kind of a funny story. I actually just went out on my own because I didn't want the commute that I was doing to the schools. So I was assigned to about four different schools and had a caseload of about 100 students. And it was an hour drive to serve that school district and an hour drive back to my home um, and a really busy day in the schools. And I felt like I couldn't be my best therapist to so many children at once. It was just felt really diluted if I'm being honest. Um, so I wanted to really make a big difference for each kid that I serve. And I figured the best way that I could do that was to start my own practice. So I just kind of went out on a limb and started my own thing in um, 2016. Um, it, started originally just right out of my home. And then once I had a number of families that were coming to see me, I was able to open my own clinic, which is just wonderful. Amazing. I love that. So I guess to start out, maybe we could go over what exactly is speech therapy? Speech therapy has a rather large umbrella. Um, we do anything from articulation differences. So that's what we kind of think of with speech therapy, kiddos that may have a hard time saying some of their sounds or their S's or R's or L's, um, all the way up through language and narrative and conversation and social skills and play skills and even feeding, chewing, and swallowing. So all of that falls under a speech-language pathologist umbrella. Very interesting. So this is stuff that I've never even done any research on. I have <laughs> three very talkative girls. Well, two very talkative girls. But anyway, <laughs> I guess in your experience, who in particular needs speech therapy? Well, anyone who... Um, we, we certainly do these formal diagnostics to kind of see, you know, where kids are falling in comparison to age-matched peers when we do diagnostics and assessments. Um, but definitely, we look for kiddos who have any kind of difficulty or frustration communicating their wants and needs, kids who are not clearly understood, particularly by caregivers, loved ones, family members, um, kiddos who are having sometimes excessive tantrums and behaviors because they're so frustrated that they can't communicate well with others. So those are are the main um, families who are reaching out to me for support. I never thought about the fact that it would be really frustrating to not be able to communicate your feelings. Mm-hmm, indeed. So are there any specific tips that you have for parents to, for them to do to help their child develop speech properly? Well, we know that input drives output. So the more language that they are exposed to kind of naturalistically in their environment, the better their brains can kind of create those neural networks for communication. So um, when we look at the research and the studies across children, across socioeconomic status, we see that families who um, have the ability to speak with their children throughout the day, communicate, read with their children, throughout the day, have books in the home, um, those 
children are exposed to about 5 million more words by kindergarten than um, kiddos from lower socioeconomic backgrounds who might have only TV exposure to language. So um, definitely as much as you can interact with your kids and read with them and speak with them and talk with them through daily events as they occur is, is the number one critical piece that we can do. That's really interesting you mentioned kind of the TV part. So would you say, I mean, that even if a kid is watching TV or being exposed to language that way, that that is not as useful as somebody talking to them? That is true. So that is what the literature shows us, that TV language is not encoded in the brain as in the same way that spoken person-to-person language is. So it's almost an ineffective way to learn language. I'm learning all sorts of things I've never even thought about before. I'm also um, thinking about what you said about reading to your kids, just speaking to your kids in general. And I think this is one of those things that that first five California campaign is kind yes. of talking about. Yeah, they're like all about sing and play and talk to your kids. And also I take my kids to the library all the time and they're always saying, mm-hmm. read to your kids every day. And I've always thought of that as, oh, you know, just so they learn to love reading. But it's also for for speech purposes. So that is it absolutely is. fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how interconnected our brain is. The more we, we read and talk and, and all of those things play into how well we're able to then communicate. Right. And so to add on to that, like TV aspect of things. Is there anything or any research that shows that speaking via phone call or Zoom or things like that, because we're all virtual these days, is there any sort of effect on speech that way? Um, I have not seen enough current data to really kind of talk about that. But I think that, um, you know, conversing with a grandparent on the phone or seeing a loved one over Zoom and and kind of connecting with them and having conversation is a different kind of a, a language exposure than just sort of sitting and absorbing SpongeBob. So right. I think there are definitely like different levels of interaction that you can um, experience with your children some, you know, over a screen, as long as they're kind of back and forth and conversational would be more advantageous than than sitting in front of a a TV program, even if it's educational in nature. Right. And this is all kind of something that we're learning about in real time because it's all going Mm -hmm. on right now. Uh, Another question I have kind of maybe on a similar subject is my kids listen to audiobooks. I mean, Mm -hmm. embarrassingly, probably almost all day because that's just kind of their reward after we do homeschool (laughs) lessons and we don't watch a lot of TV. So is there Mm -hmm. any research about the effect that audiobooks has on speech development? Um, Audiobooks should be, in theory, as beneficial as um, reading. It is going to encode in the brain a little bit differently. So, you know, when you're reading, you're dissecting symbols visually, and that's a different neural network than encoding language auditorily. That's just two different parts of the brain. So, uh, but as far as what they can gain from language used in written books versus language used in audiobooks, it looks pretty equivalent. 
Okay, so I have another question for you, and this is kind okay. of off topic, but it's about the audiobooks. My sure. kids listen to a lot of British audiobooks, and they oh. can do really good <laughs> British accents. I sometimes joke that they're like partially raised by British people because they do the accent really well. So I don't know if this is even in your wheelhouse, but have you heard of kids picking up on accents when they're exposed to them in that way? Well, that would make sense to me that that's what they do because they're hearing it. And then it's kind of fun to emulate an accent. So it makes sense to me why kids would be intrigued by hearing their words pronounced a little bit differently, especially if they're really engaged in a story and they love what they're listening to. But there's definitely nothing disadvantageous to hearing language through different accents. And it shouldn't impact the way that their speech develops overall. They're kind of code switching in a way. It's They're kind of code switching dialects. Um, so back on to actual speech development. How do parents know what the average age range is for their child to speak and make proper sounds and meet certain milestones? I think the most helpful resource for gathering this information is asha.org. So that's A-S-H-A dot org. That's the American Speech Hearing Association. And they have such wonderful information that's really easily read and bullet pointed that lays out all of the sounds we should be, you know, um, acquiring by which age and which language skills we should have and how long our sentences should be and which types of verbs and forms we should be using mm -hmm. and specific examples of how can we elicit these skills naturally during the day and help our kids along. So I could rattle off a bunch of developmental norms sure, that go I ahead. think. <laughs> do it with you. Okay, I will do that. Um, okay, so if we're looking at language, kiddos tend to develop language um, kind of chronologically as they grow with age. So we expect a one-year-old to use one word utterances. We expect a two-year-old to at least use two-word utterances. We expect a three-year-old to use an average of three-word utterances, and that norms out at age six. So um, when you look at their average, um, you would take kind of like this 50 utterance sample and and literally count the words and divide it by the number of phrases and get that calculation of, well, are they using at least an average of this many words per sentence? Um, so that's kind of a good gauge of, oh gosh, my kiddo's two and we only have, you know, 20 words, then that might be kind of an indicator of, of needing a little bit of a boost there. Um, and then as far as sound development, we tend to learn the lip sounds first. So jaw and lips are the most easily coordinated. So we um, can, you know, more easily kind of pop our lips together for our P's and our B's. We start to learn to round our lips for W's. Um, so anything made in the front of the mouth is easier to see, easier to copy, and a little bit easier to produce. So those sounds we expect to all be in, you know, by age three. And then those trickier sounds that are like the R and the L and the SH and the CH, those are a more complex motor pattern requiring like 
eight muscles of the tongue and jaw stability and appropriate breath support. So that's why those sounds we tend to see an error a lot, you know, as kiddos get a little bit older. But we do expect pretty much all consonant sounds should be pretty well in place and be pretty clear by age six. Okay, so those are all very like general guidelines, but are there other Mm -hmm. specific indicators that parents should now look for outside help if their child is struggling? I think it kind of depends on how the child is responding to communication and how they are using communication. So um, a a big indicator is if the child is having behaviors and frustration. Um, Really, we see that as a sign of this kid is having a very hard time either understanding what they are being told or expressing themselves adequately. So that that's the big one is is the child kind of showing some signs of distress and we see those signs of distress in, you know, behavior and tantrums often. And then those are the kiddos we really want to support immediately. Right. So I I guess you just answered my question, but it would be interesting to know how many behavioral issues in, say, like kindergarten and first grade Mm -hmm. are tied to something that's just a little bit delayed in their speech development. I would guess quite a few. Right. That would make sense. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would be very frustrating to not be able to communicate and express yourself, especially as a child Mm -hmm. when everything is all about feelings. Right, exactly. And not not even knowing how to, like kids are really smart. They're so bright and intuitive and they know how other kiddos um, around them are, are kind of operating and, and communicating with each other. And if they can't participate that same way or they don't know how to join play or they don't know how to get another child's attention in an appropriate way or they don't know how to say a kid's name so they just push them. Um, it's, it's really hard for those kids to feel successful right? And with it, communication. And with your job in particular, like what percentage of your job is, you know, encouraging, you know, new speech development and progress? And is there any element of your job that is also helping just empower them in general and making them feel heard? I feel like you just nailed it. I feel like 100% of my role is helping to empower that child um, to feel more confident in communication. So, you know, speech therapy has to be very fun and intriguing and engaging and um, elicit curiosity and be rewarding and empowering to that child. While I am working on functional objectives with their speech and language, I mostly want to boost their confidence of you can do this. You can try this. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're just we're just building skills. I love that. That's I mean something right out of a homeschool advice <laughs> blog or book <laughs> is just about empowering kids and making them feel like they can do that. And this is the space where they could try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And That's exactly it. This is definitely something you really helped. Like with my own children. Um, you know, they were having a lot of the like frustration of being heard, even though they had a lot to say. And mm-hmm. um, my oldest didn't want to try or practice at home. And, you know, we, we would try things at home and try to do things. But it wasn't until we took them to you and oh. you started kind of show because you were able to like show them how to do it because that was what mm-hmm. we were lacking kind of as parents knowing 
how do you make a W sound? Like, how do you make an L sound? I love to find your spot. Um, like, you got to put your tongue. I think it's right behind the teeth or right on the teeth. Uh-huh. One of the two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Right behind. <laughs> so just learning those tools helped them have that confidence to at least they could try. Because before, I couldn't even explain to my children, this is how you make that sound. I could just kind of repeat it. But like you said, they can't mm-hmm. see inside your mouth. Right. Yeah, it's hard to. <laughs> for those more complex sounds, particularly. Mm-hmm. So say a child is struggling with speech, but their parents aren't able to seek help or they don't. Will their ch- will their children be able to grow out of the speech issues over time? It can happen. Um, it certainly can. So we do know that kids will grow and learn and develop and their brains are fascinating. I mean, kids have this like incredible neuroplasticity. So it's it's not uncommon for kiddos who can't access help to eventually grow out of the help or grow out of that um, condition. So um, there is some literature that shows if they receive intervention earlier that they can grow out of that Um, need much quicker than if they don't have intervention, but they could, it kind of depends on what their um, circumstances, Mm -hmm. but they could grow out of it, certainly. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, like when is the ideal time to come into you? Because I think maybe some parents struggle with, oh, you know, maybe the child will grow out of it. Have you seen cases where people Mm -hmm. came in too early? Have you seen cases where people came in way too late and it's harder to overcome the issue? I've seen all of it, um, everything in between, and I think it is easier for kids to learn skills earlier on, and I think parents have a really wonderful mommy instinct or daddy instinct um, that my kid's having a hard time, and I think it's important to listen to those instincts as soon as we have them. Um, And maybe if you have access to somebody who could help, that would be a good time to reach out to them. Earlier does seem to be easier for the children. You know, I've worked with kiddos who haven't received help with their speech until middle school, and it's really hard to uh, correct a lifetime of ingrained motor patterns. What's the Mm -hmm. youngest age that you have worked with? Well, some speech pathologists work with infants and they're like there with with mom like helping the baby's mouth on the breast like get appropriate motor function I don't quite do that but um, my uh, youngest that come in are around 18 months um, and that's if they're kind of pre-verbal not starting to really vocalize Um, I get some kiddos before two when when family's like you know we're not talking yet and that's that's about as young as I see them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just taking notes because uh, my 18-month-old definitely is not talking as much as my older two girls were at this age. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, are you aware of any options for homeschool parents looking to get speech services for their kids? Like, can they go through their district if they're through a charter school? Is there a special sort of insurance that they could buy? I don't know. <laughs> do yeah. You know- so I do know... Um, well, I don't know all the the rules with each district and with homeschooling, but I do know with 
um, private school. Um, and I, th- I'm pretty sure homeschooling does fall under that public school yeah, jurisdiction for support. Yes. If you're homeschooling independently in California, you're filing a private school affidavit. Aha, there you go. So yes, you are eligible, um, for requesting an assessment, um, for speech language pathologists to do an assessment for your child. And you'd be held to those eligibility criteria determined by the district for the service. Um, And so that eligibility looks like if a child is, um, falls below the seventh percentile in two areas of language, then they can access a speech pathologist through the district for the Uh, school that they would otherwise be zoned for. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. And I think that that will probably be very helpful for people because that's something that no one knows about. You know, when you're, when you're filing the private school affidavit through California, you're kind of feel like Mm -hmm. you're floating on your own, although you are technically creating your own private school. So that's the kind of thing that not everyone knows about. So thank you for sharing that. And I also just realized I've been referring to you as like a speech therapist, but the actual title is speech and language pathologist. That's correct. But speech therapist is fine too. I, I don't, um, I kind of respond to all of it. And my title is technically really this long mouthful. I'm actually a speech language pathologist and orofacial myologist. Wow. So that is a whole, so speech therapist is fine. (laughs) I think, I think it's just to prove that you actually can speak. (laughs) I don't know if that's just a common, yeah, I don't know if that's a common joke with speech language pathologist, but that's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Okay, so if somebody is not for some reason able to kind of get the services um, that they want, maybe they don't meet the eligibility criteria, but maybe they're still experiencing tantrums or things of that nature and they still want to get speech therapy, like if they were to find a private practice, um, are there insurance options available for them or could they just pay out of pocket? Uh, Both are a possibility. So the best way to go through insurance is to make an appointment with pediatrician and voice those concerns to the pediatrician. My child's having a little bit of a hard time communicating. We're seeing tantrums um, and behaviors. Could I you know, request a speech and language pathology evaluation. And the pediatrician office usually knows which clinics in the area are vendored with their plan and can support them through their health insurance plan. So that's probably the best way to go is right through that primary care um, pediatrician. And yeah, so if your health insurance plan covers speech therapy services, then um you know, that would be a good way to access that support. And then if not, sometimes there's kind of funny things with insurance plans. So, you know, um, every now and then I'll get a phone call, you know, we have this plan and we're actually in network with the plan. And then it will say, oh, but you can only access the service if the child has been injured or had a severe illness or something that set them back. 
versus just being kind of developmental in nature. So I can reteach skills and have that covered by insurance, but not teach them to begin with, which seems kind of silly to me. Right. But sometimes that's how, how the plan works. Um, and then so if the plan is not an option, it's certainly an option to private pay at a local speech therapy clinic um, for that support. If your child is zero to three, the Alta California Regional Center can provide that service to you, and that is um, federal dollars. So that is not expense to the family. So if your child is zero to three, Alta California Regional Center would be the number one um, resource that I could give you there. Very nice and very informative because um yeah insurance can definitely be complicated so um it's good to know all of that that's very helpful so say parents do decide to take their kids to see you what could they expect when seeking help from a speech and language pathologist The first appointment tends to be an information gathering session. So that would be where we would do intake, um, ask and answer questions about development, get information on all the developmental milestones from feeding to crawling um, to walking. um, And we look at their whole case history. Um, And then we would do an assessment. And so depending on the age of the child, for our little kids, they tend to be really play-based in nature. So we have these assessment kits that have toys and picture books, and we are looking for um, specific functions, how they use language to initiate an interaction, how they use language to respond, um, what their sounds what their sound system looks like. We can gather all that information on on how they're producing each and every sound in the English language. Um, but we tend to do it in kind of a fun way with books and toys. Uh, then an assessment report is written to kind of um, go through that data and and look at the the child as a whole and determine, hey, this is actually within average range of what we would expect, or this falls below um, developmental expectations. And we would map out a therapy plan if if it were indicated to do so. So I know that you've probably seen a wide range of cases, but how long in average does it take for kids to graduate from speech? Yeah, I, so this question is almost my least favorite question <laughs> because it's really hard to map out exactly how quickly a child is able to move through their program. I would say if we are just working on speech sounds, um, it's unusual in my practice to require more than roughly 20 sessions, but um, it's again, highly variable per child. Um, so it, it depends on, you know, on how quickly they move and acquire the skills is as quickly as we can, you know, get to our final end, end goal. Right. Is there anything fun that you do on their last class or session with you (laughs) she has a lot of fun 
Oh. Uh, yes, we have a party. It is a celebration. We print um, certificates that they graduated from their program. We let them pick prizes and do cupcakes or cookies or whatever special thing they like to have. And it's a party. They really worked hard. They met their goals. And that should be a celebration. That is so cute and sweet. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is Do you know how far ahead of time that they're kind of getting close to the end and you don't really need to schedule them for further sessions? I do have a pretty good indication. Um, yeah, so, so usually it's fairly evident, like, wow, they're really speaking clearly. You know, when we first started, we only had these few sounds, but now we have pretty much all the sounds and they're using them clearly in sentences. So once they get to that point that... Um, that their speech and their language looks where it should kind of uh, in comparison to same aged kids, then that's typically where, where we can kind of plan graduation. They don't have to have perfect function at graduation, but they do need to at least show that, oh, they caught themselves and they self-corrected it. And they're kind of, you know, almost to that point where, where things are, are really smooth and they're functioning very well. So that's, it, it's a little bit variable there too, but um, there are indicators of, okay, we're ready to go now. You've got this. Now you can take it from here. Right. And do you regularly send like tips and tricks and advice home with the parents so that they kind of know how to follow up throughout the week? Absolutely. So I think that's kind of an important piece is giving really um, sensible uh, suggestions for home practice. And I try to not get too crazy with it, like do these million things. You know, it, mm -hmm. I try to keep it pretty simple. Like here's one idea that you could do at home this week to focus on this particular skill development. Or here is, you know, a, a worksheet with the sounds that we're practicing. And if they could just kind of practice saying these words every day, once a day. Um, but I try to, to keep the homework very reasonable, but that's going to be the best way to rapidly move through the program if they're practicing that skill routinely. Kind of like anything we try to get good at. My son's trying to get really good at baseball right now, and it's like, hmm, do you think you're going to get good at baseball by playing that video game one more time or maybe by going out in the garage and uh, hitting some off the tee. So it's just kind of practice. That was definitely one thing I really appreciated from having um, not a ton. It wasn't like a ton of homework. You always gave us like, oh, while you're playing a game, do this. Or, mm -hmm. you know, just spend five minutes, like five minutes, guys. Five minutes is not that long in like an entire day. <laughs> Um, and go mm -hmm. over, you know, you would give a little worksheet with pictures and, and they loved doing it. And it was like, I, you know, I even made it fun. I like gave them a checklist. It was like, we have to put a check every day and take it to Miss Maggie. So definitely just was, mm -hmm. it, guys, it, it's not as difficult as it sounds because it, <laughs> it was just really nice to not have another crazy thing on my plate that I had to do like a million things. It's honestly a really wonderful, loving, caring, nurturing environment that we create in in the speech therapy space. Like most of our kids run up the stairs. It's my favorite thing to sit in front of the window and watch the kids as they race up the stairs and run through my door and are so excited to get to work. 
Um, oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Speech is like the speech is the favorite like day of the week for all, all of my kiddos. They loved going. <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, you do it. You, you make it fun. There's always a game they can play. They love playing the games. They, they just love coming to speech. So it's awesome. That is fantastic. And that's when they're really going to make a a neural network um, in the brain. The brain wants to be intrigued and entertained and having fun. And that's, that's when we can really, really wire communication well. I love that. That's so sweet. I love the idea of kids just being so excited to see you because it shouldn't be something that's a drag by any means. So I just love that. (laughs) So I know with COVID and everything right now, Maggie, you have started to do some like Zoom sessions with some of your clients. How, How does that work? And is that something that like maybe somebody who's not in the area could use your services for? Sure. So that has been um, definitely something that we've had to learn how to do um, is the Zoom therapy. So I had never done teletherapy before, and we had to pivot um, and figure it out quickly. And what we learned is that we could do teletherapy somewhat effectively, I I think actually quite effectively, um, with families of smaller children if we coached um, parents directly through Zoom. So what that looks like is, you know, family would um, gather materials on their end if they had a puzzle or if they had, you know, a car race track or, and I'm kind of talking about for smaller kids, toddler aged, you know, some, some toys on their end, then I could help them coach, um, you know, specifically what targets to do while they're playing with their kids, give them specific phrasing um, to model to their kids. And, you know, let's try this target and we're going to do it this way. And they got to be the speech therapist, um, you know, with some kind of direct coaching from me. So that is what that model looked like as we were serving smaller children. And it actually worked really well. And sometimes it was even kind of magical um, watching the families kind of grasp, oh, if I do it this way, then my child is able to to try this word and try this target and look me in the eyes and, you know, be very excited about this new skill that they're learning together. I didn't terribly mind doing that. I love serving kids in person. It's my preference, but it ended up not being a terrible thing to equip parents with those skills over Zoom um, to do therapy on their end for an hour. And on the subject of COVID, uh, so I'm assuming you're not able to wear a mask because kids need to be able to see your mouth. So do you just like have to wear the, the face shield thing so that kids can actually see you move your mouth? We do. So we have a face shield on and it's a clear face shield for that reason. So certainly we are uh, really tight on infection control measures. Everyone wears their mask. We take temperatures on the way in and just kind of do our best to sanitize every single thing that was touched. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're exactly right. They have to see what we're modeling. So it's not it's not easy to wear wear a mask and do speech therapy. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was like very impressed with how you guys handled everything, especially being like a smaller practice. Um, you guys were kind of the first ones to be like, oh, like we're going to have all of this in place and it's going to be safe for your family and everything. So it was just awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we really wanted everyone to um, stay safe and then also be able to access the support that they need. So I was happy to do that. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I guess it's time for us to ask you for your recommendation of the week. Do you have one to share with us this week, Maggie? I do. So my recommendation of the week is called the Expanding Expression Tool. Now there is a kit and it's quite expensive to buy the kit. So I'm just going to kind of explain what this tool is because I think you'll find it's really easy to emulate. So mine is a rope with, and if you Google expanding expression tool, you'll see what it is too. But it's, it's a rope with these beads, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven beads that are kind of like golf ball sized. There's a green, a blue, an eyeball, a wooden one, a pink one, a white one, and then an orange one with a question mark. And these help our kiddos learn how to expand either their verbal expression or if they're doing written work for school. Green is group, blue is do, I is what does it look like, the wooden one is what is it made of, pink parts, white wear, and then the question mark is, what else do you know about it? And it's a really wonderful visual tool. They could even make a little bracelet and have each one of those expander, you know, expanding bead colors on their bracelet. And as they're writing a story or telling you about a story, oh, I'm telling you about a giraffe. It's a type of animal. It can reach way up into the trees and get the highest leaves. It's a very long animal with long legs and a long neck. So it just is a tool to give them visual cues and, and um, you know, if they need that kind of tactile kinesthetic um, where they can feel the beads and string them along input to really help them expand. I love that one for literacy and language. So cool that that is something that I'm just I'm so excited to share with people because that is amazing. I love that. Yes. And there are free, um, you know, PDFs with with what it is kind of all over the place and on teachers pay teachers, um, tons of activities surrounding using expanding expression tool. And it's kind of easy to use with kids. And I just love it. I find it to be very valuable tool. Amazing. Well, Stacey, do you have anything else you would like to ask Maggie while we have her? No, I ask all my questions weekly. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can always see her next Monday. Yes. Lucky you. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for spending some time with us. This has been really, really informative and really just interesting. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was really nice to speak with you guys. And I hope that information was helpful to all the families working so hard to educate your kiddos at home. I really admire each and every one of you so much. Thank you so much, Maggie, for taking the time out of your busy, busy day to speak with us. Um, I'm My head is especially spinning after her recommendation of the week, the uh, expanding, what was it? Expanding expression tool? Yes, I totally love that recommendation. It sounds really, really cool. I, I'm really thinking that it'll be a great like helping a story, st- writing a story or even speaking a story for kids and really get them to be creative 
And I'm thinking particularly about our two oldest kids, Stacy, because mm-hmm. they just love to make up stories. And I think that they would just have a ball with that. Like, I think it's a really good tool for like getting your creative juices flowing and like getting you to think kind of outside the box when it comes to developing a story and using new words. I love how open-ended it is as well. Like you could use it for a smaller child just to help them express, you know, short words, or you could use it for even like an older student to like really help them develop their writing skills. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope that this was uh, informational for you. We had a great time talking to Maggie. Now it's time for you, Stacy, to have the honor of our outro. So now it's time for you to say... See you next time.